mistakes are a part of life. It's what makes us human. However, learning from those mistakes and understanding why we make them, for me, has been the key to not repeating them in the future. In this episode, I'll tell you how a drunken New Year's Eve party led me to realize the underlying theme for some of my more questionable decisions. Welcome to Forbidden Fruit Podcast, where each episode will awaken you to the knowledge of a better you through insightful discussions and shared experiences that instantaneously changed our lives. Don't forget to follow or subscribe, leave a review, as well as turn on your notifications so you know when new episodes are available. Be sure to listen to the end so you don't miss how I learned how to deal with the demons that caused me to make bad decisions. It's a popular saying uh, that love makes people do strange things. However, from my experience, from what I realized from a New Year Eve party, uh, that anxiety actually for me makes me make questionable decisions and so to tell you the story about the new year's eve party it was december 2017 uh i think at that point my life was probably i considered it to be perfect i had had a new job i made more money i paid off uh, all my bills i had bought a new home uh, and this dating relationship that i was in was going real well it looked very promising and so I going into this New Year's Eve party uh, I guess I was just too happy I was too excited and I really wasn't paying attention to the amount of drinks that I was having that night and so throughout the night I was fine I mean I wasn't you know belligerent or anything like that but I was drinking pretty heavily not really realizing that because in my mind I thought I was I was being responsible and so New Year's Eve comes New Year's here and we walk out the door and it's just like the world just starts spinning. And so me and this girl that we were that I was dating at the time, we hopped in the Uber. I ended up throwing up in the Uber. Uh, we get to her house and ended up throwing up when I was at her house. And so needless to say, a month in, me behaving in this way and is not a good look. So obviously that situation came to a screeching halt after that event and so for me I have I've never been I've never had an issue with alcohol and I honestly I don't believe I've ever had one but this was the first time in my life that I actually lost something because of it and it really scared it scared me straight and it was a very uh, ironically a very sobering experience because even when I was younger, in my 20s, I was very conscious of this. I had a good friend of mine at the time who would take a break, a 30-day break where he wouldn't drink just to make sure that he had everything in check. And I adopted that. And so I would do that every so often, back even back then. And so now I, overcorrecting, I made the decision that I wouldn't drink for an entire year and because this is not my behavior I think self-control for me is always in the forefront of my mind 
in almost everything that I do. Actually, the close friends that know me, when I told them what happened, they laughed at me because they have never seen me like this and or like that how it was at the party. And it was just the funniest thing in the world. But for me, it was just like, hey, you know, are you are you out of control? Like, are you in a position where you don't really have a grip on on how much alcohol you can have at a time and so during that time which I find which I found to be extremely interesting because I've never not I've never gone that long without alcohol to be 100% honest so it was definitely some moments in there where that were harder than others but the common thread between those moments that I found down the road is I wanted to drink the most when I was anxious now at the time I would label that my anxiety as frustration like I'm frustrated about something like I need a drink I need to drink something and so what helped me with that is I would go get ginger beer and I would drink that and that would kind of help me with the sensation of just drinking something but even then I would drink an entire six pack of ginger beer and uh, and during this time uh, it was kind of like my, my work environment that was great at first became extremely toxic I mean extremely toxic and uh, the management was very bad and it was just this dread to go to work and I bring that up because I would crave alcohol the nights like the most like the, the most before I had to go to work the nights before I had to go to work and I also had another friend that I worked with and that when I met him when I first got to the job he didn't drink at all but then down the road you know because of just how stressful the work environment was how toxic the work environment was how terrible the management was he began to drink again to the point where I remember he mentioned to me that his uh, that his wife noticed it and she was like, oh, this is bad. And so I eventually made it through 2018 without, without any alcohol. I didn't have any slip-ups, although it was it was pretty challenging in the moments. Uh, however, I mean, looking at the positives, you know me, I always try to find a positive out of this. And I'll be honest, had I not have went to that New Year's Eve party and got drunk and acted a complete ass of myself and lost the relationship that I was that I was in I probably would not have I know I wouldn't have given up alcohol for that year and I'll be honest alcohol on top of the year that I had coupled with that toxic management that toxic toxic work environment it probably would have been a slippery slope and so for that I am grateful because I just, I never want to associate drinking with with emotions or anxiety. I mean, it's good to have a drink here and there, and that's fine, you do your thing, but at the same time, it's like if, it, if your emotions are driving you to drink or behave in a way that can be destructive, then that, in my mind, is, a, is an actual problem. And so, also I noticed that uh, anxiety was a, a big influence on opening Pandora's box, or what I like to call opening Pandora's box. And uh, opening Pandora's box is when you open the door to get involved with someone that you know you have no business being involved with. 
uh, in regards to dating and along with um, various other things, if you get what I'm get what I'm saying. And so just perusing one day, perusing through Barnes and Nobles, because that's kind of what what I did at the time. I would go and just try to find new books to read and learn and grow. I came across this book called Mindfulness by Tessa Watt. And it was some very interesting concepts and practices in that book that ultimately I found to be extremely helpful. Uh, the, the biggest thing that I took out of it is uh, understanding emotional intelligence and also understanding the value in it. Because before I understood, I mean, I've heard of emotional intelligence, but I didn't really understand what it was. And I don't think I ever met anyone up until that point that could articulate what emotional intelligence was. And so from what I what I got from that book was emotional intelligence is being able to acknowledge how you feel, but at the same time, be able to make decisions based on the actual situation at hand. And I guess to, to paint a picture of that is, you know, if when certain people are upset or if I'm mad, people can tend to make decisions based on how they feel. But at the same time, not really assessing why they're upset. Because let's just say you could be upset about something and you could be wrong about the situation. Or if you realize the reason that you're mad is not really the actual situation, then your your feelings will correct or your feelings will adjust to whatever the actual situation is. As opposed to being emotionally unintelligent, you just feel the, the anger, whatever you feel, and then you act upon that completely disregarding the the reasoning or rationale behind why you feel that way but not just being able to do that but doing that in the moment not completely after the fact like you blowing up and then down the road you figure out that you know the reason you was upset was not even the actual situation that's not useful being able to do it in the moment in my understanding and my perspective is emotional intelligence and so that comes into play when it comes with with mindfulness in the book and also for me, anxiety is not shaming myself for how I feel because oftentimes I would beat myself up about how I would react to certain things emotionally. But at the same time, I just, un- emotional intelligence is being able to acknowledge your emotions, but at the same time saying, this is just an emotion. It's not necessarily indicative of what's going on. And so a couple of examples of this would be Uh, I used to play rugby and before every game it was like clockwork regardless of how many times I played how much we practiced I would be so nervous like I could feel it in my body I'd be worried about what was going on I would be just fumbling and just kind of running through my mind of the plays and things like that but at the same time me feeling that way didn't reduce my skill I, I was still able to run as fast as I was able to run when I wasn't anxious as I was. I mean, I I could still catch a ball, I could still pass a ball. So me being anxious and being being nervous wasn't really, didn't really dictate what I was able to do physically. And another example would be recording this podcast. Whenever I record a podcast, well, the first few ones I've recorded, and to include this one, I have been extremely nervous. I actually usually put it off. Like I'll procrastinate to the point where it's like, look, you gotta get it done, just take care of it. However, I've allowed certain people to listen to previews of episodes and their feedback to me is like, it it seems like you've done this before. Like you don't seem nervous at all. It's crazy that this is your first 
handful of episodes. And so although I'm nervous and I feel anxious, I still can or I can still have a thought. I can still articulate. I can still communicate. I can still relive certain experiences in a way to where I can still share those experiences with you in a way that you may you may be able to find them helpful. And so it, it kind of reminds me of something of somebody told me while I overheard several years ago. I had a friend of mine that performed and he talked about how he was nervous and I believe it was his cousin that came out and told him he was like look you getting nervous is really just your body getting used to or preparing you for what it is you're about to do your blood is pumping harder you're more alert you're more in tune to what's going on and so that's just your body preparing you to exert yourself more than what was more than what is normal and so I I honestly have held on to that ever since then now I know that understanding is tied to physical exertion uh, however there are have there there have been other times where I've realized that I am anxious when I begin to what the book referred to as, as numbing and when I say numbing I'll get on my phone and look at social media just over and over again or I'll look at you know the same news websites over and over and over again as a way to just kind of just numb myself out almost tune myself out to how I feel and initially I realized I did it well initially I didn't realize I did it at all but when I read the book it kind of brought it to the forefront as a way that I was subconsciously dealing with anxiety although I was actively doing it but I didn't realize I was doing it out of me being anxious and so there is a technique that the book talks about uh, that uses the body to hack into your subconscious mind when you're subconsciously worried about something and there was a a talk that Brene Brown gave it's called the uh, power of vulnerability where in this talk she she used uh, she's mentioned when it pertained to trauma that the mind cannot determine what's real and what's a thought and so the example an example of that would be if I told you to sit down in your living room and close your eyes and relive a traumatic experience, let's just say you were in a car crash and you closed your eyes and you were driving, it was wet at night and you looked out to your left and you saw these big bright lights flash coming towards you and an 18 wheeler just say T-bones you, your body would react as though it was happening right then and there. So your heart beat a pump, your breath, you'll start breathing a little bit harder, your, your muscles will become tense to in a way brace for impact and so the technique that the that the mindfulness book recommends is to be mindful and pay attention to your body so when your body is tense then that's the trigger to your mind to say oh i'm so, i'm i may be anxious about something I, I for me a couple of things i noticed with myself would be like my forehead i would be frowned up for some reason and my forehead would be kind of tired just from me being fresh to being frowned up all day uh, another one would be when I was driving to work which I found very interesting because I've been in, in unfortunately I've been in several car crashes and my quads I found that my quads would be very tight as though I was pressing my feet down into the car bracing for impact although I was the only person on the road and this became extremely extremely useful for me because a lot of the times when I was anxious, I didn't really know about it. 
until you know the decision was made or the mistake was made and being able to catch it in the moment is such a a incredible skill set to have because it's definitely a skill set you have to consciously practice this and i believe the book actually mentions that like you this is something that you have to work on it's not something that somebody can just tell you you can be aware of it but it's a skill set that you have to develop and so another exercise uh another tool to use when you're anxious is breathing uh Brene Brown mentioned also in that same in that same talk that uh, highly functional people are always aware or conscious of their breathing and so for me what I'll do is when I feel anxious I will put my hand on my stomach to bring my attention to my breathing and so that'll kind of help me calm down and force me to breathe and then me thinking about that and me focusing on that kind of brings me out of being so anxious and uh, also another technique that the book mentions is uh, that I use going to bed at night is combining the awareness of your body with listening into sounds so at night I would I would lay on my back I would pay attention to my body, so pretty much they call it a body scan. So I would realize what areas were tense, were tight, and I would consciously just loosen that up. And when you do that, you kind of reprogram the brain. It's sending a signal to your brain to say, okay, we, I, we are fine. Whatever you're, whatever you're preparing me for, like, it's okay. And then you, you kind of just calm, it helps you calm down. But also with the listening, holding on into a sound, it also kind of, for me, it, it forces me not to think about so much because I think about a lot too much. Uh, I think that's probably why podcasting has been so helpful for me because what I'm saying to you, I think about all the time in my brain. And so me saying it into a microphone is actually helping me release these thoughts that I have all the time in my head. And so, but with the focusing on the sound is doing is, is turning that off in a way. And so what I'll do is I'll, if there's like a train outside or if there are birds chirping or if there's crickets outside, I'll close my eyes, I'll pay attention to my body, I'll calm it down, and then I'll hold on to that. And I'll just listen to that sound and just listen to that sound. And then ultimately I'll, I'll pass out and I'll fall asleep. And interesting enough, I, I would have some of the best sleep that I've had doing, make, doing that practice. I would actually have dreams. And I never really got sleep to the point of a quality of sleep that would allow me to have a dream. So it's it's definitely helped me along the way. And I'll be honest, is I'm as bad as that event was, that New Year's Eve party, I am extremely grateful for it. Again, because that me losing control sent me on a path to learn how to gain more self-control probably more than what I would have without that having without that happening and so again I'm always trying to find the positives and I'm extremely grateful for that so I would love to hear how you deal with anxiety uh, I would love to hear some of your practices books that you may have read talks that you may have had that have helped you deal with those moments because I know everyone deals with anxiety is it's almost it almost feels like it's a part of life to be honest and so reach out to me at instagram 
at underscore forbidden underscore fruit underscore podcast but until then be tempted hey this is nick moore your host i understand that time is life which is why i'm so grateful that you would take the time to listen to forbidden fruit podcast it's something that i do not take lightly if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far please share this with a friend you can also show your support by downloading following or subscribing to the podcast as well as leaving a review on apple podcast don't forget to turn on your notifications so you don't miss an episode find me on twitter at podcast underscore fruit i would love to hear from you and like always until then be tempted